0: Okay, Psalm 127, 127, as we take what Solomon has written here and we think about the times where he says something is in vain or something like that, we're going to look at it from the aspect of what does it look like when a culture, when a society is in decline. And so uh, we looked back on August 16th and we talked about the attempt to succeed as a secular society, not honoring God, not giving glory to God, but divorcing from Him and then expecting that everything's going to be okay. And it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It has to be the Lord, and we've got to acknowledge Him. And then on August 23rd, we said, When we have an inordinate trust in military might. Now, I'm a military brat, so I appreciate the military, and this is in no way disparaging them. However, we looked at verses last week where we can't put our trust in them, in men or people or in weapons or strategy or anything like that. It has to be the Lord. In fact, uh, Solomon wrote here, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's an empty pursuit. And then tonight we're going to Say, uh, here's another problem, another sign that we're going downhill when we find identity and security in work or in wealth. Notice what Solomon says in verse 2 It is vain or empty for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Now I know it doesn't say anything about work in here, but When you think about somebody who rises up early, generally that's to get the chores done, that's to get to work, and the the stay up late, you may be working some overtime, you may be staying up, finishing up things you didn't get done during the day. And the result of that, he talks about eating bread, bread of sorrows, but normally in the Bible, when they talk about eating bread, that has to do with toil and work, earning it, and uh, sometimes the earning of of uh, a wage and the earning of money and the prosperity that goes with it it really does turn into the bread of sorrows. I also thought too that normally you don't rise up early if you sat up late and you don't normally set up late if you had to rise up early unless you've got to go to work, unless you've got to get things done. And uh, most commentaries that uh, I looked at They kind of had the same idea that this is talking about somebody who is working. And uh, so when we think about work, I think there are a lot of misunderstandings about work, even among Christian people. I talked to a guy one time, and we both worked in a grocery warehouse in uh, Tulsa. And this guy goes, well, you know, if Eve hadn't eaten that apple, we wouldn't have to be doing this. And it was hot. It was hard work. He ran a forklift. I was on the maintenance crew. And we had to be there early. We had to stay during the afternoon. No air conditioning or anything like that. There were boxcars that had to be unloaded. That's a real thrill in August. And uh, all of that type of thing. And uh, I thought it was strange that he attributed it to Eve. That if Eve hadn't eaten the apple, as he said, then we wouldn't have to work. And so I wanted to start off by saying... Number one, work is not a curse. In fact, work is supposed to be a delight. Work is supposed to be a blessing. Work is supposed to occupy time to be productive, to take care of our family, to uh, do uh, fulfilling things that benefit society and other people. In fact, humans were assigned work even before sin and before the fall and before the curse. Genesis two fifteen. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, look at this, to tend and to keep it. I wonder what it was like to work when the environment was perfect, no hot days, no cold days, Uh, you don't get snowed out or rained out, you don't have to worry about tornadoes or severe weather or anything like that. Can you imagine when everything was just absolutely perfect? And uh, I picture that Adam, that if he ever had to dig a hole, the ground was always soft and and the soil was mellow. And so when they dug, it was just easy. That when you had to grow things, you didn't have to water them. You didn't have to fertilize them. You didn't have to pick bagworms off of them or anything like that. Can you imagine what it was like? And everything was just simply a delight. Do you delight in your work? Or are they chores. Chore has a negative sound to it, doesn't it? And a lot of people, well, this is just a chore that I have to do. Something I don't really want to do and wouldn't do if I had a choice, but it has to be done. Now, before the fall, work was not like that at all. It was something that they would look forward to and something that would always be productive and something that would be much, much easier. And I know that because... The second thing we want to look at here, the second bullet point anyway, is that sin and the curse, that's what makes work difficult. Difficult. It wasn't that we, uh, that mankind never worked before. It's sin and Adam's rebellion against God that made it worse. In Genesis 3, that chapter about the sin and the curse, in verse 17, God speaking, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Now listen to this. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And Paul says in Romans that the earth is groaning under the curse, longing for the day when the curse will be released from it, when Jesus returns to reign. Cursed is the ground. And then he says, for your sake. In other words, because of you. So... My friend was wrong on two points. Work was not a result of the curse. And number two, God never attributed that to Eve. He's saying it's Adam's fault here for your sake. And then he says, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. It's amazing how easy weeds grow. And uh, I think uh, whenever I mow my grass and try to take care of all of that, I'm thinking, why aren't we growing that stuff that grows in the cracks in the driveway and making that for our yard? You don't have to water it or do anything. But instead, we have to fertilize, spray, and all of that, and water all of this grass and cut it just right. We're doing the wrong thing, folks. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. That was a great life. Going to sweat and toil and grow weeds and get all this together with hard work and everything's going to be against you. The environment's going to work actually against you, unlike before. That first day of work after the curse must have been horrible for Adam and probably for Eve both. I wonder what they ate since they were... Not in the garden anymore. I wonder what it was like when they say, You mean I have to dig and grow something? And I have to figure this all out? Well, things don't grow just immediately, do they? So they probably had to forage for things that were out there. And everything is against them. Can you imagine the first time that they had an argument? Can you imagine the first time uh, Eve said, You didn't find anything today? And nothing's growing? And uh, Adam looks at her and goes, How dare you? You do realize had you not eaten of that fruit, we wouldn't be in this situation. What's her comeback going to be? Oh yeah, big, strong, godly man who's a protector and walking with God? Why'd you let me do that? Why didn't you say anything at all? And I imagine it went back and forth because you know how when you're tired and you're hungry and you're out of sorts, it's really easy to, to be ugly, isn't it? I imagine there were some tough situations in there because the curse and sin is what brought this about and why it is so difficult to uh, work. That's why it's hard to get up in the morning. That's why you're sore from it. That's why you get tired so easy. That's why you get bored in your work. That's why it seems so pointless. That's why you have conflicts with your coworkers or with your boss. That's why machinery breaks down. All of these kind of things come from the curse and they come from sin. It wasn't like that and it wasn't intended to be that way, but the curse of sin made that happen. Uh, secondly, work is something that is actually commanded by God. In Ephesians 4:28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You know, all of us think about going to work to provide for our families. Do we ever think about work? In terms of having something to share. Because usually we get selfish and say. Well it's mine. I earned it. But yet Paul says. We do that so that we can have something to share. Solomon says in Proverbs 12 11, Whoever works his land. Will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits. Lacks sense. You know people are always looking for something. That's going to make them rich. They're always looking for something that'll get them out of work. They're always looking forward for that day when they don't have to work anymore. They're always looking forward to that time. And basically what you want to tell people like that is you're talking about heaven. So get on your knees and trust Christ and surrender to His Lordship so you can go there. But you're not going to find it here on earth. And you find so many people that they can't wait until they don't have to work anymore. And then when they don't have to work anymore, particularly men, they lose all their sense of a purpose, And it's difficult uh, for them to do that. Why? Because it's a command to work. We're made to work. And uh, it's a sad day when we can't do it anymore. And then we look back longingly. I used to be able to do this. And I used to be able to do this and this and this. And uh, now we find ourselves not being able to do that anymore. And it's a, a sad time. Because we were actually made for all of that. And sin has robbed us of the enjoyment of it and the blessing of it, and we really don't understand it. And so we pursue all of those things, passive income that they call it. And some people are able to pull that off, but most people aren't. We fall for this is a thing that's going to be the next big thing, and if you'll invest in it, you'll be wealthy and uh, so many times that doesn't work out and things don't go the way we were we wanted them to go the economy doesn't go the way we want it to go and that's because we're living in a cursed world and it doesn't take very long to live to find out the curse is not static it actually gets worse, and it gets harder, and we're living under all of that, and so we, like the earth, we groan and long for the day when we'll be released from all of this, and that'll happen whenever we die or when the Lord returns. Thirdly, notice that uh, the Bible teaches that worth uh, work does not give us our worth, and yet we tend to do that. I think men are really bad about that. If you uh, watch game shows And uh, typically when the host talks to a woman and says, tell me about yourself. And she goes, well, I have a husband and I have four kids and I live in such and such a place. The man will almost always start, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a carpenter, I'm a plumber, I'm a farmer. And then he'll add the family on there because most men find their identity in what they do. It's what we talk about. It's what we find our value in. It's how we take care of our families. And that's biblical too because the Bible says that if a man will not take care of his own, he's worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. So we're just kind of hardwired that way. Women more toward relationships and nurturing. Men more toward protecting and providing for all of them. But yet the Bible warns us, even the disciples, against that. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take care, and be on your guard against all covetousness. Boy, it's so easy to fall into that, especially in a capitalist society like we have. We always want what somebody else has, and we want something better and newer and faster and all of that. Beware against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Boy, do you think we violate that? Uh, Every day, Uh, this culture, this country that we live in, we think that that's what it is. We think that if we die with the most toys, we win. And yet that doesn't work that way at all. And it's sad when people, all they see themselves as is what they're able to do and what they're able to produce. And I'll just say this, as long as God gives you breath, you have a purpose to honor and glorify the Lord And it may be that you get to the place where maybe you don't provide for your family anymore and there's not any particular work you can do, but you can still be a sentry for the Lord and you can still stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You can still pray for your kids. You can still pray for your grandkids and stand guard over all of them until the day that as an honorable soldier you are discharged and you are taken home to be with the Lord. You always have a purpose in the Lord and in Christ. But we're talking about work. So let's get back to that. Proverbs fifteen sixteen says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Have you ever noticed how when we think about people and the money that they have, the riches they have and all of that, boy, if I had that, man, I'd have it made. And we think about all the things we would do and all the trouble that would be gone out of our life as as if rich people don't have any trouble. Then you start paying attention and you find out that sin brings trouble, sin brings heartache, And the enemy attacks rich people as well as he does poor people. And that there are different things that happen to people that bring trouble and sorrow and grief with it. And money can't get you out of it. You can't buy your way out of the death of a child, for example. You can give them a good funeral, but you can't buy their life back. When we think about betrayal and heartache and think about some of the things, some of the rich people go through and think about all of the people that... uh, if If you had a billion dollars, how would you really know who your friends were? Well, I would know. I could just tell. Oh, could you? Or could it be that there are people that just hang around you because you've got all the goodies? Could it be that they befriend you and they affirm you and they treat you nice because they know you have the resources to make their life miserable if they don't, and so they don't really care that much about you, they just like their job, or they like the benefits, or they like how you pay for the golf game, and the travel, and all of that kind of thing, how would you really ever know, but you know what, if you're a poor person, and somebody befriends you, you can pretty well count on the fact that they actually care about you, And if you have a loving family, even if you don't have many possessions or a lot of money, and your family gets along and and you uh, uh, do well together, then you kind of have a better idea that it's real. Now, I'm not advocating poverty or anything like that. I am just simply saying that we've got to get over the notion that if I had X amount of dollars, boy, life would just be easy. Well, no, you just have a different set of problems. And they might even get worse. Over time in history, there have been a lot of people who have become very, very wealthy that would give it all up for a good night's rest. They would give it all up if they could have a relationship with their son or their daughter. They would give it all up if they could just know what joy is because money You know, as the old song says, money can't buy you love. It also can't buy you joy and it can't buy you peace. And it really is not the security that we all think it is. That's why we have to go to something higher and we have to go to someone higher. And that, of course, is the Lord Himself. Okay, the next thing we need to look at this last thing here work is a good servant, but it's a cruel master. Work is a good servant. There's nothing wrong with it, as we can see. It's a good thing, but it's a cruel master. When it controls you, it will rob you of so much. That's why it says in this psalm in verse 2, It's vain and empty to rise up early or to set up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. That'll break your health down. That'll destroy relationships. That'll take all of the meaning out of life to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he, meaning the Lord, it's a capital H, gives his beloved sleep. In other words, you can rest. You can be restored. You can be rejuvenated. Uh, All of that is what we really, really need. Now, where does that come from? That doesn't come from a hard day's work. It comes as a gift from the Lord. Now, granted, when you work hard and you're worn out, you do tend to sleep better but not everybody some people can't no matter what they do this is a gift from the Lord and so you want the Lord to be your master not your work not your job not your boss not alcohol not drugs not tobacco not anything else Paul said I don't want anyone or anything to master me other than the Lord and that's where we ought to be and so uh, don't even let work do that even if you're obeying God You don't want to let it become something that uh, you actually worship, even though you don't intend to and even though you say you don't, but yet your actions and your attitude betray you. Now, in our society, we have a problem with people either not wanting to work or they make work an idol to be worshipped. And it seems like there's some in between, but not a whole lot. A lot of people just say, well, why should I go to work? I make more off of the government or something else. And there's a difference between won't work and can't work. Hear me on that. A difference between won't work and can't work. And there are a lot of people that just won't work because, well, through COVID and that type of thing, they found out they could do okay uh, without working. And so uh, that's why everywhere you go, there's a help wanted sign and there's a shortage of people. But you go back a couple of generations... Uh, Today is my dad's birthday. He would have been 90 today. It's also Papa Sam's birthday. He would have been 89. They were exactly a year apart. And back in their generation with their parents, uh, people would do whatever they had to do. And they did sometimes some demeaning jobs, tough jobs, jobs that now we say Americans won't do. But that generation during the Depression, they would do anything they had to do to feed their family. As I understand it, my grandpa on my dad's side would go by stores like Safeway and offer to haul off their trash because when he hauled it off in a wagon, there might be something in there that they could eat. Can you imagine living like that? Some of you can. And so we think about those kind of things and we realize that as we uh, look at work that people today that don't want to work, that's a sinful, that is a sinful thing. But also... Because the devil will take you any way you want to go... If you turn it the other way... Then he'll make you a workaholic... To where you are more of a servant of your work... More a servant of the almighty dollar, as we say... Than you are a servant of God. Uh, Steve Lawson, in his commentary on this psalm... Says that... Solomon warns against being a person... Who burns the candle at both ends... Neglecting one's family... ...and failing to trust God. So we've got to be careful about this... ...because we swing one way or the other like a pendulum... ...and uh, we really don't want to do that. Now when we talk about being careful about worshiping work... ...I want you to think about something. There are some people, you know some... ...you may be one... ...that uh, no matter what happens... ...you are always at beck and call of work. Doesn't matter what time it is... ...doesn't matter what it requires... ...doesn't matter what you have to give up... ...doesn't matter what you have to leave... Uh, You will do it because work has become something that you worship. And then maybe you think about this. You will do whatever it demands, even if it's illegal, immoral, or harmful. A lot of politicians fit into that, right? Right? And we think about other people that we know that if the boss says, you know, under the table, here's an extra thousand dollars, if you will, and then just keep it quiet and all of that. That kind of stuff happens a lot. And it's because we worship our money and we worship our work. Uh, Also, some people work so much that they sacrifice the family. And in the name of providing for the family, they actually lose their family. God never intended for that to happen. And then also, when it comes to the point that it's destroying your health, this is something that is supposed to be beneficial. It's not something that is supposed to uh, kill you. And yet a lot of people will sacrifice even their health because they can make a few more dollars. And they don't have time for anything for the Lord. They don't have time for anything at the church because work has beckoned. Work has beckoned. And any command of the Lord to serve or to fellowship or to minister or to worship, well, that's set aside. Work has called. Work has called. We've got to be careful about all this because it's so easy to slip from being diligent and having a good work ethic to the point of saying, Lord, you have to take a back seat. My work has called. And we bow down to the idol of work. So I want to conclude here by giving you some things that the Bible says that I call reminders about work. Okay, reminders about work. This is something our society needs to know and Christian people need to know, and that is this, that Jesus is your boss. It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to come to church and talk about everything for His glory and all of that and then go to work for ourselves or go to work for our boss or to be a people pleaser or to be that person that um, when... Um, I was about, uh oh, 19, and I worked at that grocery warehouse in Tulsa with my friend who has ALS. And uh, not long ago, he uh, was preaching, and he mentioned this in this story. I had forgotten about it. But we had men there that worked in that warehouse that they knew how to hide, and they knew where to get on the rack behind certain things so they could take a little nap if they wanted to. The guy that I worked for, he was constant he was a chain smoker, and he was always taking a smoke break, taking a smoke break, and you know, several times an hour uh, doing that kind of stuff. And uh, Vernon and I, we were raised by uh, particularly men who taught us how to work and taught us that we ought to do an honest day's work. And my dad even put it, "Do an honest hour's work." if you're being paid six dollars an hour which is what I was being paid then. That was good money back then. And uh, he said, then do $6 worth of work and do it all day and do it to the best of your ability. And so we would do that. And uh, we had these uh, men that came up to us in their hard hats and all that, and they were pretty good-sized guys. And they told us we were making them look bad, and they would appreciate it if we would just slow down a little bit and quit working like that. And it was just kind of disheartening to hang around them and try to work with them because we didn't have any influence or power. We didn't outrank anybody. We were at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. And yet to see the way they had learned to kind of game the system and they learned how to get out of work through all of that, uh, that's a sad commentary. Well, we couldn't do that because we had been taught... That we are to work for Jesus. And that's what the Bible commands us to do. In fact it says in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do. Do heartily. That means put your heart into it. That means do it well. That means do it with excellence. That means don't slack off on all of that. Be thinking. Find better ways to do things. And improve things. And go beyond what you're actually told to do. And he says Work heartily, and look at this, as for the Lord and not for men. Now, these men at the warehouse, they didn't act like that when the foreman was around. He had a different color hat on and, uh, you know, different position and all of that, and they could lose their jobs. And uh, when he was around, boy, they were getting after it. But as soon as he would go back around the corner or to a different part of the warehouse, it was a huge warehouse, And as soon as he was somewhere else, then they immediately slowed down. The Christian cannot do that because we are to work heartily as unto the Lord. Jesus is the boss, and we do it for him and not for man. Well, what if nobody sees me doing all of that? The Lord sees, and he'll reward you. Here's another thing to think about. Diligence is something that God blesses. Diligence is something that God blesses. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Since we have a psalm by Solomon, we'll look at another thing that Solomon said because it'll fit together. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. You've only got so much time to work, only so much time to earn money. Now, you got to figure out how to do this without making an idol out of work or making an idol out of money. At the same time, you don't want to slack off. You want to do everything that you're capable of doing, everything that God made you to do, and live up to the potential that God has given you. Now, they tell us we only use about 10% of our brain. Can you imagine what would happen if we used 20%? What would happen if we use 30%? And I think the same thing is probably true physical. We are so used to being comfortable, and we want to try to take it easy. And we have leisure on our mind, vacations on our mind, resting on our mind, getting off work on our mind. Where back in the day when the Bible was written, they didn't take vacations. They worked much longer. An eight-hour day, they would laugh at an eight-hour day, wouldn't they? We had power tools. We have all kinds of things to help us. They did manual labor all the time. And they could not be upwardly mobile. You didn't go from being a slave to upper management or middle management or anything like that at all. You were what you were and you did what your daddy did. And that's what your lot in life was. And that's all you did for thousands of years. That's the way it was. And by the way... If uh, you as an American don't thank God every day for this nation, shame on you. Because this nation changed all of that. This nation and our founding and our constitution gave us the ability to go above and beyond what our daddy was. To go above and beyond what our family had done for thousands of years. And upward mobility did not exist until this nation came along. So if you've ever gotten a raise or a promotion or anything like that, that is a gift of a free capitalistic society that didn't exist before the United States of America came into existence. That's a wonderful, wonderful gift that you've been given. We need to be a good steward of the freedom and of the nation and of the opportunities that we have here and not just let them go by because we are slacking off on things now we have to understand that our wealth comes from god nobody is a self-made man Some somebody oh nobody gave me anything i earned it all myself and they want to take the glory for it who gave you life who keeps you alive who gave you movement who gave you talent who gave you a brain where you could think about those things nobody is a self-made man It all comes back to God, and it's a gift. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, uh, Moses said to the children of Israel when they were going into the land, Beware, lest you say in my heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Well, we have such a, a, a tendency to take pride in what we do and to think we did it and we accomplished it and we forget that God has given us that ability and the opportunity. You know, there are a lot of people in places like China, Cuba, North Korea, places like that. They have the ability to do great things but they have no opportunity. It's in a society like this that somebody... I mean, we're sitting here in air conditioning tonight. Hadn't it been great to have weather to be just a little bit cooler? Some rain would be nice, Lord, if that would please you. But, boy, it's been nice. But in those hot days, when it was 104, 105, or uh, the uh, heat index was way up there like that, And you go outside just for a little bit and, boy, you feel like you're being hit by a blast furnace and, you know, it's sweaty and all of that kind of stuff. And you come back in. Isn't it nice to come into air conditioning? Somebody invented that. It wasn't just always here. Right? How many of you can say amen that you remember living without air conditioning? Yeah, we didn't have it when I was growing up. I didn't have... Uh, central heater air until I, uh, about the time Sammy and I got married. Our apartment had it. That was the first time in my life I had had that. And a lot of times we either had window units or nothing. And most of the time it was nothing. Miserable trying to sleep at night and uh, no breeze. In Oklahoma, no breeze. And uh, boy, the air is thick and heavy and humid. And just having a sheet over you is like a blanket almost. and. You know, man, it's so nice now to go to bed and, you know, turn the thermostat down a little bit and then burrow under those covers in the middle of August. Not winter, but in August. That's an amazing thing. Somebody invented that because in our society, somebody thought about what it would take to create a cool space. And then, thank the Lord, they had the opportunity to do it but there are just thousands and thousands millions maybe billions of people who they have all kinds of great ideas and they have they're super talented and super intelligent but they don't live in a society where they would ever have the opportunity to do that do I sound patriotic I am I'm grateful for this land and I'm grateful for the things that have been produced here when I uh, Isaac and I would go to India. I was grateful for the Wright brothers and glad they were Americans. Right? When uh, we think about all the things that we enjoy, praise the Lord for all of that. And that's all a part of our, uh, what they call the Protestant work ethic. Exists here and not in a lot of other places. Here's something else we need to remember. Work is designed and gaining wealth is designed so that we can prepare for the future. Proverbs twenty-one twenty says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. In other words, he stores it up. Now look, here's how we know that. But a foolish man devours it. You know, there are some people that life is to them, as feast or famine. When they've got it, boy, they just run right through it and eat it all up and spend it all and all of that. And then they don't have anything and they go from an abundance to nothing. And then they get another job or a paycheck and boy we're going to live high on the hog now until it's all gone and then they go again you ever known anybody like that there are a lot of people like that and uh, that's why you've got to be wise you've got to be careful and budgeted to some degree you've got to save and you've got to uh, save for a rainy day like grandma used to say and a lot of people just don't do it and then you have to Trust your heavenly Father. I mean, this really is bottom line in everything. And I think this is what Solomon means in Psalm 127. We've got to have a dependence, faith, and trust in the Lord. That's the bottom line for nearly everything. Just trust the Lord. And your life and everything you're doing, the Father is teaching you how to trust Him. He puts you through some storms. He takes you through some deserts. He puts you in some things that don't make sense because He's teaching you to trust Him. Going back to the words of Jesus again in Luke twelve twenty two, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I will tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, seems like a big thing to me, a small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? little faith I pray that before we die the Lord would not have to say that to us that we've learned to trust God and we've learned to have great faith and we demonstrate to our children and to our grandchildren what great faith can do and how great faith is such a wonderful blessing but uh, alas I'm having trouble getting there are you? And it seems like about the time I learn one lesson, then I quickly and conveniently forget it or put it aside and, until the Lord reminds me again. And it's like I have to go through things over and over and over and over. Am I the only one like that? No, it's just the way it is, isn't it? Oh, ye of little faith. Now, I'm grateful for what little faith will do. Um, little faith... When Peter had little faith, he stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. At least he did something. The other 11 just watched. I mean, little faith has its place and will do some things. And just a little faith will take your soul to heaven. But uh, a lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. I'd like to experience that more. I'd like to have other people see that in me more. And uh, that means that even though we may work and we may put all this together, we never lose our faith in the Lord, knowing that everything comes from Him, as we've already said. And then uh, we'll close with this. All of this is so that we can be generous. Not that we can be selfish. Not that we can hoard things. Not that we can keep things from other people. Not that we can cheat other people or any of that kind of stuff. Enough of that goes on, sadly. But we, as God's people, we want to learn how to be generous. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous, that would be us, shows mercy and gives. And so we want to be those kind of people honoring the Lord in everything that we do and doing everything we do for the glory of God and doing it in the strength of the Lord. And doing it so that we can be a testimony for Him. And God has given us in this country a unique gift. We can raise more money that doesn't affect our lifestyle than any place else on the face of the earth. It's amazing. They'll do something for the people of Maui. And, and you go, well, you know, everybody's just living paycheck to paycheck. What are we going to give You know, a $1,000 or something like that. And then we find out there are millions of dollars that are given. You can look around here at some of the things we've been through with our tornadoes and things like that. It's amazing how much money that you can raise, even in a, a city like ours and people like us. It's amazing how all of that could happen. Where if you go back to the days of Jesus, only the rich could afford to do that, the very rich. The average person didn't have anything Really spare except maybe the two mites that the widow put in. But then Jesus said about her, she's blessed because she gave all she had. You mean that's really all she had? That's what Jesus said. It's almost as though she said, I can't buy anything with this anyway. I might as well give it away. My father-in-law told me one time, he goes, son, if you ever get to your last dollar, don't spend it. Give it. Put it somewhere else and then God will bless you. And uh, that type of thing. Well, wouldn't you like to have just a generous spirit where your eyes and ears were open to needs and you found out a way you could contribute, you could help? Some of you do that, and you're a great example to all of the rest of us. But this is something that the Lord wants all of us to be generous people. Not foolish, not stupid, not spendthrifts or anything like that. Knowing what we can do and doing it within our means doing it in the way that God provides, but just thinking in a generous, not a wasteful, not a self-indulgent manner, blessing other people. So when we look at all of this, we can see how far we've gotten away from the target, away from the mark uh, of what's happening. And so we wake up on a Monday morning and um, what do we do? Oh, thank you, Lord, I get to go to work. No, we gripe about it. We complain about it. And uh, like somebody said, we wake up and and we say, Good Lord, it's morning, instead of saying, Good morning, Lord. And we are so blessed. This is how we started off before we uh, even had our opening prayer. We have so much to be thankful for, and we have an abundance. Maybe your abundance is smaller than mine. Maybe it's bigger than mine. That's not really the point. The point is... Almost all of us have an abundance. We have more than we need and more than we deserve. And that ought to cause us to have joy and to be glad. And uh, we feed our families, we clothe our children, and uh, we help out others in times of distress. That is unheard of in human history because we're just normal, common people. And yet look what God has enabled us to live in and to experience So may we give Him the glory and the praise and remember that it all comes from Him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, okay? Take your newsletter tonight.